Amen. Yes, I will. Praise your name in the lowest valley. I was thinking, and I think a lot, because I say that a lot, don't I? I think a lot. I was thinking about our last few weeks together and uh, what we would do. And so uh, we're going to be in the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. And uh, we're going to do like a little, I can't cover all of the book of First Thessalonians in three weeks, of course. And so we're going to be thinking about this idea while we're waiting, while we're waiting. I'm going to go into some of this this morning as we do a little bit of the background of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we'll explore this a little more, but throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians, one thing you'll notice is every chapter ends with the idea of we are waiting on the coming of Jesus. But waiting doesn't mean that we're just waiting. Amen? And so I want us to think about that this week as we go through this series. Also, I would like to say this just on a personal level. Uh, I covet your prayers. I really do. I know that this is a difficult time for you. It's a difficult time for for me and, and for the staff and everyone with transitions taking place. Uh, but I, I need your prayers. I don't want you to fail me now when it comes to praying. Pray for me more than you ever have. Uh, I covet your prayers. I covet your prayer support in that, that way as we take on a challenging um, church plant. And so uh, I'm, I, I realize that within myself, I don't have the ability to do what needs to be done. That, that uh, through Jesus and his strength is the only way uh, that I can do what he's called me to do. And so when people pray, uh, it makes a difference. And so I covet that you would be praying for us uh, in the next few weeks as we make this transition. But don't, don't stop there, please. Please pray for us as we continue to try to do a work for the Lord uh, there. And so I covet your prayers. But we're going to begin at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. And so look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. There's only 10 verses here in chapter 1, and so we're going to read these 10 verses of 1 Thessalonians. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Then verse 3 is going to be a key verse. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because of our gospel, because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of, our, of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. 
For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. I thank you for your word. And Lord, we just pray now that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would speak through us, and you receive all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to be talking about while we're waiting, and the first... Uh, uh, sermon title of this series is going to be uh, Resolutions for a Church in Waiting. Resolutions, in fact, I believe there's three resolutions here for a church in waiting. Now, to kind of understand where I'm coming from with this whole idea of waiting, we need to reflect back on Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, it gives us the story uh, of Paul first going into Thessalonica and sharing the gospel. And it tells us, as his custom was, he went in, he went to the synagogue, and he began to share with the Jewish people uh, about Jesus Christ and how Jesus was the Messiah. And we, as we read the story, we see that some believed and, and some didn't. And some became jealous of Paul because some had put their trust in Jesus Christ and so they stirred up the crowds. They, they stirred up a riot within the city and they arrested some folks from the house of Jason and they brought him before the council and he had to pledge a, a bond to get, get freed from that and, and they would have loved to have killed Paul if they could have. But they urged Paul to leave the area and so he left the area and he went to Berea and he shared with them in Berea and, and Paul left prematurely. He felt as if he had not completed what God had, had sent him there to do. He felt like that he had not fully established them in the faith. And so he sends Timothy back to get a report because he's concerned uh, about the struggling. They got off to a great start, but a rocky start. So he was concerned about the church of Thessalonica. So as he's sailing away to Athens, he sends back Timothy to bring him word about Thessalonica. And I'm sure that Timothy, as he's going into Thessalonica, he's probably thinking yeah, the church might have just disbanded. With all the upheaval and all of the persecution and all of the riots and all the things that they had to face and everything that they were going through, it's very likely when I go into the city that I'm going to have to hunt down the Christians. I mean, because they're going to be dispersed. But to his surprise, when he arrives, he finds a thriving church. A, a church that is 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 going through persecution with hope. A church that is laboring in love and doing the work of faith. A growing, 
striving church. And so he goes back to Paul and he says, hey, the church is flourishing in Thessalonica. And so Paul writes these words back to the church of Thessalonica. And I can just imagine that he's overjoyed and in amazement because he wasn't able to spend the time that he thought he needed to spend with them and they're still thriving and it's an eager church and they're active in love and they're steadfast in their hope and as he writes back he commends them for what they're doing while they're waiting on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting that they're waiting, but they're not just waiting. We see here that there's something going on. We see these three resolutions of a waiting church. And I thought about us, because we're waiting for Jesus, right? We're waiting for Jesus. He's coming. We know he's coming. We see the conditions of our world. We're convinced that his coming is closer than it's ever been. Amen. But we're also waiting for a pastor, aren't we? But waiting is not just for waiting. Waiting is not just for waiting. When you wait, you don't have to just wait. In fact, we're commanded that while we're waiting for Jesus, we're not to just wait. It says when he comes, will he find us about his business? Will he find us busy? And so waiting is not just waiting. It's great to wait with assurance, but we're not just waiting. And we can say, hey, I'm just going to sit here and wait until a pastor comes. Well, I'm going to tell you something. That's not what you're supposed to do. It's not what God's called Hazelwood Baptist Church to do is wait until a pastor gets here. We're to be active. And so I see three resolutions, and I've got to share these or I'm going to run out of time, okay? I can't preach the introduction. I've got to preach the message. So here's resolution one. While we're waiting, we will work while we are waiting. If we look at verse three, it's really the key verse, and it really explains the whole rest of this chapter. It's the summary verse of this entire chapter, maybe even the entire book. And he says this in verse three. Look at it with me again. He says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that they have the work of faith. And I love the way that Paul qualifies that, that word work. He says it's the work of faith, not not the work for salvation, not the work for grace, not to work for acceptance or work for prestige. It is the work that is generated by genuine faith. It's faith that works. It's faith that is a result or work that is a faith. Uh, hold on, let me start over. It is a work that is a result of our faith, right? It's faith that works. And, and so it's, it's not uh, that we're working for salvation, but rather we're working because of salvation. And so Paul says that these works demonstrate that the Thessalonian believers were chosen by God. Is what he says. These works show him that they were chosen 
by God. Or some translations may say elected by God. And the word here for election is eklogen. Eklogen. E-K-L-O-G-E-N in the English language. It's made up of two words. It's ek, which means out of are from, and then Logan is the idea of telling, and so literally Paul is saying that, that, that these believers were chosen out of the world by the message of the gospel, that literally when you and I are sharing the gospel, we're calling people out of the world to Christ. That's the whole idea of being chosen or elected, chosen by the gospel. And all we have is the gospel message to call people out of the world to God And how do we know if there is genuine faith? Well, works of faith will follow. If someone truly trusts Christ, works of faith will follow. You can't stop them because we are compelled by our gratitude to serve the Lord Jesus. Something about that compels us. Let me give you some examples of that. You remember in... The Gospel of John chapter 4 verse, uh, well verse 28 and 30 kind of give us the summary of the tale. But in chapter 4, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. You remember that? He goes through this long dialogue with her talking about uh, who he is and how he is the living water. And if she partakes of him, then she'll never thirst again. We, we see a picture of the gospel there, how conviction comes into our life and how Jesus is openly revealed for who he is and how she embraces faith in him. In verses 28 through 30, it says that she leaves her water pot behind. And she goes into the city to tell everyone about this man that she has met. Something about genuine faith compels us to the work of faith. Let me give you another example. If you remember in Mark chapter 5, Jesus runs into this man in the cemetery that is possessed by a legion of demons. You remember that? And no one could control him. He broke every chain and tether that they put upon him. He'd rip his clothes off and run through the graveyard naked. And when Jesus came to town, Jesus healed him and set him free of those demons. And in chapter 5, verse 20, it says that he went into all the surrounding cities and witnessed to what Jesus had done for him. Something about genuine faith brings about the work of faith. You remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says this. He says, uh, when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, you uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Something about genuine faith produces the work of faith. Well, how did this show in the Thessalonians? Paul says this. He says that they became imitators of Paul and of his associates in verse 6. Joy even in the midst of afflictions, he said. They became imitators of him in much affliction. Uh, they became examples to everyone in the area, it says in verse 7. They became an example to other people. They lived exemplary lives. Here's the third thing. 
They turned away from idols in their life, and they was reflected, that was reflected in service to the living and true God. In other words, they turned away from serving idols to serving the true and living God in verse 9. Do you know how you can tell if you have idols in your life? You no longer have time to serve God because idols occupy all of our time. Amen? That's what Paul said right here. We know we have idols in our life. We don't have time to serve God anymore because those idols demand all of our time. And then a fourth thing, they were known for the gospel. In verse 8, he says that the gospel had sounded forth from them in Macedonia and Achaia. And even he goes on, the report of them had went all around the world. So that's how. He knew that they had genuine faith. That's how it showed up in the lives of them. So while we're waiting, we do the work of faith. I mean, we just keep on working the work of faith. We're not working to please a preacher. We're not working to please a deacon body. We're not working so that we can show everybody how Christian we are. We're compelled to work the work of faith. I mean, we're working because genuine faith lives within us and genuine faith produces work in our lives. And so while you're waiting for Jesus to come, while you're waiting for a pastor, work. The work of faith that God compels you to do. Keep on going. Don't quit. I know what our tendency is because I've been there too. Everybody else is quitting. I'm just going to quit. I've been there. I've done that. I've done my part. I've raised my kids. I've, I've helped raise kids in the church. I'm old enough to just lay my tools down and retire. You don't retire from the Christian life. You don't retire from the Christian life. We work until Jesus comes. We strive until Jesus comes. We share the gospel until Jesus comes. Uh, the church keeps moving until Jesus arrives. And when he arrives, then we can lay those tools down. But we keep working the work of faith. Resolution one that we need to make is, while we're waiting, we will work the work of faith. The second resolution seems very Similar to this one. While we're waiting, um, well, I'm, that's the third one. Or, well, not second. We will love. We will love while we're waiting. Notice what he says, and it's interesting to me. He says, labor of love. You know, the first thing that kind of goes through my mind when I think about that is uh, it's a job to love some people. <laughs> Amen. Don't we think about that? It's a job. To love some people. But that's not exactly. I think there is a hint of that. In that term. Labor of love. But that's not exactly. What it's saying. It, and it's obvious as we look at that. With work of faith. And then labor of love. It, isn't work and labor synonymous with one another? Yes. It's synonymous with one another. But the difference is. Work is sometimes not laborious. Especially faith work. Faith work is not that laborious. I can do work that is motivated by faith all day long. Uh, but all the work that is necessary in the Christian life is not faith-filled work. Sometimes we have labor. I mean, I'd rather be baptized in gasoline and handed a sparkler uh, than, than to do some of the things in church than to sit through a meeting, in fact. 
Hadn't you? I mean, a meeting, a finance meeting. If you're on finance committee, I'm sorry. I try to look interested when I'm in there. But I had, I, I'd rather be baptized in gasoline handed a sparkler than sit in a meeting. I had. Now, you take a community outreach, and we're meeting people, and we're sharing the gospel. That's work of faith. Meeting, that's a labor of love for me. Okay? It's not as easy. And, and so the difference is the work of faith is not always laborious. Sometimes it's a joy to do the work of faith. All of you know your wheelhouse, right? I mean, you can tell by Debbie Craigan's life that working with children is not a labor of love. Dealing with the parents, maybe. But working with the kids is not a labor of love. Or it's, it's a work of faith. And so the idea is not everything is easy in the Christian life. Paul's heart was to evangelize the nations. But he had to make tents in order to evangelize, right? There was that labor of love as he was making those tents. Some work is not motivated by faith, but rather it is motivated by love. And that is in the context of that Greek sentence. It is the motivation. Love is the motivation in that sentence. Love causes us to go beyond ourselves, beyond our comforts and preferences and do what is necessary. Now I know that there's a lot going on in our world that we don't agree with and we feel well are ill-equipped to handle, but love engages. Love engages. Love shows genuine concern for the person even if you don't agree with the behavior. That's a labor of love. Love goes the extra mile when someone, even if you don't enjoy the journey, it goes the extra mile with someone even if you don't enjoy that journey. Love risks losing for the betterment of someone else. That's a labor of love. Love confronts and corrects for the benefit of the one confronted, not just for us to be right. So love does all those things. That's why love can be laborious at times. Uh, I love and let's just turn over there. Let's do it. First Corinthians chapter 13. Let's just go over there and look at this for a minute. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but not have love, I gain nothing. That does not sound like a pleasant thing to do, does it? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Now listen to this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love can be laborious. Love can be difficult. Love does not quit. And I, I want to tell you something. Love has to continue right here at HBC. 
even in a time of transition, you have to do the hard work of loving your community. And there's a lot that goes on in our community that I don't like. Amen? Uh, there's people that do a lot of things that I don't like, but we love them and we do the labor of loving and reaching out to them. Love must continue. Resolution two, we will love while we're waiting. Here's re a resolution three. We will endure in hope while we wait. Uh, you notice again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, that verse, and if you read on through chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it talks about faith, hope, and love. That's the three cardinal virtues of the church. Faith, hope, and love. Greatest of these is love, he said. Uh, we hope. We have this hope within us. Paul knew the persecution that was in Thessalonica. Because those that troubled him there followed him to Berea and all over the place tormenting him. He knew about the persecution that they were going through. He, he talked about how they received the word in much affliction. He knew that the Thessalonians was going through a lot. In chapter 17 of Acts verses 5 and 6 they attacked the house of Jason and drug him and other believers before the city council. He knew what kind of difficulties they were enduring. Being a Christian in Thessalonica wasn't easy. But they didn't lose hope. They didn't lose hope. Why? Because they were looking up. They were looking up. They weren't looking at their circumstances for their source of hope. They were looking up. Now, I want you to notice something. Just kind of breeze through 1 Thessalonians here with me. And I said this earlier, but I want you to see this. He reinforces the fact that Jesus is coming. You know, you can bear any difficulty that comes your way if you know that help is on the way, right? If you know that help is on the way, you can bear just about anything that comes your way. And so Paul reinforces at the end of every chapter, he reinforces this idea that they're waiting on the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you look in verse 10, here's how verse 10 of chapter 1, it says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He's saying this temporary persecution is nothing. Because Jesus has delivered you from the greatest judgment that you would ever have to face. The wrath of God. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 19, he says, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. He says, Jesus is coming. In chapter 3, he says, Jesus is coming. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I love that one, by the way. Jesus is coming. He's bringing me with him. If I'm dead when he comes, I'm coming with him. He's coming with all of his saints. Chapter 4, we know this one very well. Verses 16 and 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Jesus is coming. And then in chapter 5. He says this, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we hope and why do we hope while we're waiting? How can we work and love and hope while we're waiting? Because we're waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ. He is coming help is on the way and so when he comes we want him to find us busy about his business we want him to find us working and loving and striving and enduring in hope in confidence that he is coming for us as he promised we wait with hope because our Lord is coming and every obstacle, hindrance, difficulty, trial, tribulation, trouble, and affliction is only temporary. Because the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Now, let me say this personally to HBC. Your hope, your source of hope is not your financial security. I mean, we have that. Our finance team has done a tremendous job. Pastor Jim did a tremendous job of putting this church on stable ground financially. But our hope is not in our financial stability. Our hope, our source of hope is not Louis Williams or Jim Walker or any other person. Our hope is Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. Your source of hope is not the right program or some kind of social change that comes down the line our source of hope is our savior that never fails the God that never lies the king that is coming the victory that has already been won and the eternal life that has already been secured in the person of Jesus Christ and with that hope <laughs> we can't lose we can't lose with that hope so what do we do while we're waiting on Jesus to come. While we're waiting on the pastor to get here. What do, what do we do church? We work the work of faith. We do the labor of love. And we persevere. We endure with steadfast hope. That our Savior will appear. And he will have his reward with him. And we will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the sky. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And it's only going to get better from here. Right? So that's what we do. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that our hope cannot be diminished by the things of this world. Lord, we may stumble at times. We may doubt at times and we may go through shadows of death and valleys of discouragement. But Lord, our Savior, He is coming to receive us that where He is, there we may be also. But until He arrives and parts the eastern sky, we have been called with purpose to be a witness not only to 
to Hazelwood, but to the uttermost parts of the world. And Lord, it's amazing to think that from this one little spot right here in Missouri, that the gospel can sound forth across the world. And so, Lord, we pray as we wait, that we would wait patiently, that we would wait with hope, that we would share and reflect your love, and, Lord, that we would work, that we would work through faith in your promises. And so, Lord, we just pray right now as we come to a time of invitation if there's someone here that they don't have that hope that they would see that this is not something that is stoked up within us but it's something that resides in the person of Jesus Christ that he laid down his life to grant them forgiveness of their sins and give them a relationship with the creator of this world, all that we see and all that we don't see. And that through faith in him and trust in his accomplished work on the cross and his resurrected life, that they can become a new creature that is filled with hope and promise. And so I pray this morning, if there's one here that's never trusted you, that today would be the day that they put their faith in you. And Lord, I, I pray for any member of this church right now that may be discouraged. That may be downtrodden. That right now you would put hope in their heart that is so deep. That it would generate love and faith that works. And so Lord, I just pray that, that you would work in our lives that we would be strengthened for what you've called us to do, and, Lord, that we would look ahead to the fields that are white for harvest, and that we would do all that we can do to our very best for you until you come. So, Lord, have your way now during this time. We'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name.